0: Welcome to Big Bear Christian Center Sermon Audio. Join us in progress in John chapter 4, The Woman at the Well. Assume that she was married five times because maybe she was a loose woman and was divorced. We don't know because in this time there was a lot of uh, wars that were happening behind the scene. That life was rough. It's possible that all of her husband had just died. And she who was married, and then they died, and she got married again? Because if you weren't married as a woman, if you were divorced or widowed, I should say, your your plight was very rough. If you weren't old enough to be on the widows, then then you really didn't have a lot, so you'd want to get married again. And what if, what if? and we don't know which way it goes. We've always assumed that she was just a a, a promiscuous one. But there's other thoughts. And what if it was just that she was going, well, I'm just bad luck. Everything I touch is, dies. I've, I've met people like that. But whatever her her plight, she wasn't accepted in the in the community. That's why she was coming at noon. There was something about her that made people not want to be with her. So she came to draw water at the hot time of the day and at a time that if you were traveling, that you would probably be coming to the well around the noon day. And that, again, as a single woman, you wouldn't want to be at the well when there was men traveling by. Or would you? Because we don't know much about this woman. Maybe that was her idea. Go out when there might be a man. Again, it's speculation. But Jesus, though he knows her heart, he remains in that place and engages her in conversation. And they begin to discuss and we see the dialogue between them in John chapter 4. And he says, give me a drink. How do you, a Jewish man... There's an emphasis here, even in the writing. Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. They couldn't use the same vessels. They, they, they actually couldn't use the same vessels. We know that from her d- discussion in a moment that she says to Jesus, You have nothing to draw water from. Now again... You know, I, I read this, and so that's why why I know. But they would have like a leather pouch. Often is what they would carry as they were traveling. They would carry like a leather waterproof pouch. And they'd put two sticks in the top of it to keep it open. But they would they used a leather pouch to draw water from wells because they could roll it up and, and put it in their little bag, and it wasn't hard to carry like maybe a big pot or a big, a big jug would be. And so as they would travel, they didn't have bottles of water and stores and convenience stores. They would have to find a well... And so that's why they would have these these uh, leather pouches. Jesus didn't have it. Well, where was it? It was with the disciples who went and got food. Do you think that was an accident? Nope. That wasn't an accident. So here's the Samaritan woman. She's got what she needs to draw the water out. And Jesus says, give me a drink. He's not even saying, will you lower my pouch down into the water and just do the work for me? Which maybe that'd be appropriate. She's a woman and he's the the man and the master. But he's saying, use your bag to give me a drink. He cannot drink out of her bag. That's wrong. And he's breaking every barrier. He's breaking every barrier. And she's just confused and amazed. And Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would ask, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman, confused by his saying, says, you have nothing to draw with. There it is. And the well is deep. And sensing that maybe Jesus is, is coming at her as being a Jewish man and maybe her being a little feisty. can imagine she might be. She's talking to him. She begins to say, this well was our father Jacob's connecting himself with the patriarch. And he gave us the well and he drank from it. And his sons and his livestock. And where are you going to get living water? Now, living water could be really easily interpreted for her, a stream. Because a well is dead water, just sitting there. But a stream is, is alive. And really, if, we, if you know anything, if, you're, you know, if you know about trying to find water in the woods, you want to find a moving source of water more than a stagnant pool. And so, so she's still stuck in the natural going, where are you going to get the living water? You don't even have a pouch to hold water in. And now you're going to come up with a stream for me because she's not listening. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, verse 13. But whoever drinks of the water, I'll give him that I give him. He will never thirst. But the water that I shall give will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now there's a couple of things he's saying here. Whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. And then he says it will spring up into them into everlasting life. There's two things. The first is sounds very natural and this is what the woman grabs onto. Wow, I'll never thirst again. You mean there might be some way that I don't have to come here to draw water. It's much like us. We come to Christ looking for the natural benefits friendship maybe a little help from the church financially maybe even some things maybe some emotional or or mental uh, well-being from being in a in a group in a community but she doesn't latch on to the second part yet she doesn't really latch on to what Jesus is saying it's not just about that it's about Eternal life. See, I'm offering you not just something that will help your natural life. I'm offering you something that is eternal. It's spiritual. It goes beyond anything in this world. And you can tell that's what she thinks because she says, give me this water so I may not thirst or come here to draw. And he takes it to the next step because... Jesus knows that this woman needs to find healing in the moment. So he goes to an issue that she's got to be embarrassed about. Go call your husband. I have no husband, she replies. You're right. I know that. You had five. And the man that you have now isn't your husband. She's not comfortable with the situation. Can we say amen to that? We ever not been comfortable in the situation where the conviction is coming and somebody has said something now that's touching on, a, on, a, on a, a personal note for us, whether that pet sin, whatever that was. And she did what any of us good evaders would do. She just evades the question. Well, I perceive that you're a prophet. Let's talk theology. In my experience I'm doing a lot of ministry on the streets, the, the response would look something like this, begin to talk, and they find out that, that I'm a Christian or something, and they immediately say, My uncle attends this church. My fourth cousin, three times removed, was a pastor. I mean, they pull these amazing things out of somewhere, and they want to talk about this. I can't hold my hand any farther away from me. Right. Because we don't want to talk about this. So let's talk about this over here. And she wants to talk theology. And Jesus brings it right back because he knows she doesn't need theology. She doesn't need to not go to the well to drink water. I mean, he, he's God. I suppose that he could have said, you know what, go back to your house. There's a rock in your home that is now going to just gush water for you for, for forever. And there you'll have your ability to not draw water. He doesn't care about that. That's not his primary care, I should say. His primary care is what's happening inside of her. And he brings it back to personally knowing God. And worshiping Him truly in spirit and in truth, and she's still not comfortable. And I'm going quickly because I want to get to the point. Skipping over these verses, she's still not comfortable with this conversation that He keeps bringing back to her and her relationship with God and knowing that God is spirit and He's not just far off. He's not just the God in the Torah. And they they had the information in the in the Torah. Thank you, Robert. She knew that, but God is spirit and she's not comfortable. So she finally says, listen, Messiah is coming someday. He'll tell me about it. Over. That's done. We're not talking about this anymore. And Jesus says, yes, we are because I'm Messiah. I don't even we don't see what happens here. and I wish we did. Because the next thing we know is the disciples show up on the scene right then, and she leaves. But she goes to town, and she calls the men and says, Come here, man, who told me everything there was to know about me. And we see that they come, and if you continue to read or if you've already read this, that they say, you know, after a couple of days staying, Jesus staying with the Samaritans, they said, we don't, we believe, but not just because of what you said. We believe because we've experienced it ourselves, And that's wonderful. But what happened in the heart of this woman to change? And I believe it's very simple. Jesus kept touching her heart until she finally had hope. No one can love me. I'm out here by myself. And everything about me is going to be out here because there's nothing good in me. I'm sinful. I'm unlucky. I'm cursed. Whatever it is was bad. And she knows it. She believes it about herself. And so she keeps everything far away. Finally, Jesus comes and keeps bringing it close to her to where he she cannot deny that He knows her. He knows everything about her and yet He's loving her. For the first time in maybe her whole life, she had hope. Jesus is the God of hope for us. I think of a couple of other people in the bible one one's in the book of john and we'll be getting there later but in john chapter 11 there's an account of Lazarus dying and Mary who was the one who loved Jesus and washed his feet with her hair and her tears and Martha Lazarus's sisters call out to Jesus Lazarus is sick why were they doing that they had hope in Jesus that he would come and make him well. The Bible's clear in John chapter 11, though, that Jesus, after hearing that Lazarus was sick, waited two more days before he went. Why did he do that? To show us that he is the God of not just the living. He's the God of the dead. He's the God of the dead and the living and the living and the dead and that he had power over not just the natural living life, but he actually had power over death. And so we know that he wanted to show them that he had power, and so he waits until he dies. In fact, he doesn't come to the tomb until four days after he dies. And Mary and Martha are saddened, of course, it's in John chapter 11 that we see the shortest verse in the Bible the one that when we had our the fire team our discipleship group when I was young leading that that we made them we made everyone memorize scriptures every week and boy that was definitely one of them cuz you know when you have to memorize 10 scriptures a week you want to find the easy ones but we we found in John 11:35 that in that moment that y- yet he had already said that 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 he could raise Lazarus he wept Jesus wept Because he connected with them. But they had hope in Jesus that Jesus could raise their brother, that that Jesus could heal their brother. And even in death, Jesus shows that he is worthy to put your hope in. He's worthy to put your hope in. Even when your situation is dead, Jesus is worthy to put your hope in. It doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter how far from God you are and how far you need to keep the situation away from touching your heart. God can bring you hope today. And He brought it to Mary and Martha and those who were mourning the death of Lazarus. In Christ, there's hope for the outcast. In Christ, there's hope there's hope for the upright. Huh? Do the upright need hope? Go back a chapter. Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was a Pharisee. He was a law keeper. He was upright. He wanted to know God. He wanted to do the right things. And yet he knew that. He needed Messiah, and that's why he came searching. He needed hope because he even understood, I believe, that his own actions weren't enough. And God showed that even the righteous, the do-gooders, have hope in Christ. If that's you today, then you know what I'm talking about because you strive so hard to be good. You work, you strain, you want people to think that you're a good person. And it's tiring. It's so tiring to keep it up. Did you know there's hope for you? That you can come to Christ and fall on Him and say, I can't be good enough. I can't be righteous enough. I can't do this on my own. The Bible says those who fall on the rock will be broken. And that's the place that us do-gooders need to go. We need to be broken because we can't be good on our own. And we need to know that there's hope for us too. That we don't have to do this in our own strength. Thank God. The rest of that passage that I just quoted that says that those who fall on the rock will be broken. says, but those whom the rock falls on will be crushed. See, we need to come to Jesus who's our hope. Before we're crushed. Brokenness is a wonderful thing. It's hard, but it's wonderful. Being crushed is not. So there's hope for the outcast. There's hope for the upright. The strivers. The do-gooders. We saw in John chapter 11 that there's hope for the weary. in the grieving. With Lazarus, we see that there's not only hope for the dying, but there's even hope when things appear dead. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are today, whether you have know Christ, whether you don't know Christ, whether you've known Christ all of your life or you've come to him. There's hope and we need hope today. And we don't need hope in the American government. We don't need hope in an institution. We need the hope that passes all of these things and is an eternal hope. Because someday, and I believe in most of our lifetimes, someday soon, this, this system could come crashing and probably will come crashing down, and there won't be a government hope anymore. But there's hope in Christ. And it supersedes the hope that He's going to give me nice clothes or a nice car. It has to supersede that and says that we are spiritual beings and that our hope is not just in the temporal, in the water for the moment, but it's in eternal life. David said in the psalm, Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Oh, rejoice. I remember the song we used to sing, and I believe it's it's in Micah chapter 7. Rejoice, not over me, mine enemies. I can hardly say it. I have to sing it. When I fall, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Our hope is in Him. The hymn says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. And righteousness. It doesn't say that my hope is built on nothing less than him answering my prayers to give me a house or a car or anything else. It's in him and his blood and his righteousness. And though all these other things may be stripped away, our hope is in an eternal kingdom as spiritual beings. Romans 15 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If our hope is only in the temporal things of this world, when they don't come to pass, then we are despondent and downcast and we don't know what we're going to do anymore. We've got to continue to come to the Christ, come to the cross where Christ can meet us. And put our hope in Him that this momentary, fleeting life is just that. And that there is a glory that far outweighs this all and it's waiting for us. And Christians, we need to begin to get our hope once again onto the eternal and not onto the temporal. Our hope has to be in Him for eternity, for eternity. First Corinthians 15 says, "If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men." So we have something beyond this life to have hope in. It's eternal. We have are looking to the, Him to come and take us to Himself someday. And boy, cross, cross referencing the news with the Bible, sure seems like that day is getting closer. hope for the outcast for the downcast for the down and outer and for the up and inner there's hope in Christ your situation could be dying and it could already be dead but in Christ is life and the worship songs we sang today were just amazing and dare I say it prophetic You know, I believe God speaks today, not just through His Word, but He moves on hearts. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Robert, you stayed for a reason. You know, we try really, really hard. And sadly, sometimes we try the hardest in this room to be what we're not, to be what we think we should be. We put on airs too often. Today, that all's going to go away if you'll let it. You know, I've remembered. Outreaches and big events, this song would be played in mega events for the altar call to come and have people come to Christ. And that's still true today, but I believe that looking through the room that most of us in here are believers and we know Christ. Too often we just have a message and we go home. But today we need hope and we need to admit that we need hope. So we're going to have an altar call. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Come just as you are. Come and see. Come receive. Come and live forever. Life everlasting. Strength for today. Taste the living water and never thirst again. That living water that Christ wants to give each of us today. Hope. Hope for today life everlasting we're going to pray and then as we close in prayer we're just going to come to the altar and worship him as Robert leads us in this song father we've we've looked for a lot of things to fill voids we try and we strive we need you God, this morning I need you. We need life everlasting and we need hope in you that surpasses everything we know in this world. We need hope in you. God, I pray that as people would come this morning, that you would meet and do works in each person. Give them hope. Father, we come to You this morning and receive Your hope. Forgive me, Lord. Hear the Spirit
1: call. Come just as you are. Come and see. Come receive. Come and live forever. Life everlasting strength for today taste living water and never thirst again life everlasting life As you are. Come and see. Come Come
0: and Don't let anything hold you back today Don't let anything hold you back. Receive from him. Streams of living water, hope that endures, life everlasting.
1: Thank you, Jesus. Come and see, come receive. Come and see, come and see, come and receive, come and live.
0: just going to continue to worship and if you want to stay and pray or worship, we want to have that atmosphere continue here. When you feel it's time to leave, just we'll go quietly and we'll visit in the hallway and pray with one another, talk with one another, continue this atmosphere, even as you go to lunch and bring somebody with you and love one another. Bring hope to one another. Father, we thank you for life everlasting, for hope that's in you, for living waters of life that will flow from us and to others. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
1: see, come and see, come and see, come and live forever, life everlasting, stay for today, everlasting life, everlasting strength for today. Taste the living Jesus.